morning. Merry Christmas to all. So I'm going to start off with a quiz. Yay. <laughs> okay, so we are in the series on the promise of Christmas. We have had four messages already on this, uh, and I'd just like to see how much you remember. Uh, it won't take long, just very short. So the first week, we talked about the promise of hope. Do you remember what character that was about? Wow. You just made Minister Dan feel really good. You know. Zacharias, right? Zacharias, the priest who, was, who received a promise to have a son. The second week was the promise of peace. Promise of peace. Who's the main character for that story? Joseph, very good. Joseph, who needed peace right after he heard the news about his fiance Mary. The third sermon message was on the promise of joy. Who are the main characters in that story? Promise of joy. That's mine, so you better remember. Mary and Elizabeth, right? Mary and Elizabeth were the two uh, women that were very different, uh, that, that received joy that year, uh, that first Christmas. Uh, last week, so I hope you remember last week, last week was the promise of love. Who is the main character in that story? Trick question. Remember? God, right? God was the one. God is the one who gave love, who loved the world. Okay, so today, oh, I got this thing. We are on the promise of Christmas. And I have a question mark there. Is it fulfilled? Um, you know, this week I watched TV a little bit, and um, there was a lot of specials on the meaning of Christmas, right? And how we got Christmas and all this, and it talked about Santa Claus and the tree and, and how we could pick the 25th and all these kinds of things. That There's a lot of information. If you Google Christmas, there's like, Lots and lots of information about Christmas, uh, what it is, and what, what is it all about. And there's a lot of questions. I mean, and Charlie Brown in, his, in that famous serial uh, cartoon, right, the Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, Charlie Brown asked the big question, right? What is Christmas? What is this all about? And Linus answers him. And I want to talk about that today. What is Christmas supposed to be all about, really, really? Uh, is it about trees? Is it about present? Is it about Santa Claus? Is it about even the Messiah, right? All, all these different things uh, that, that Christmas is supposed to be about and that we hear about it, what is it really? So the question, sorry, is this. I want to put before you, is the promise of Christmas fulfilled? God says Christmas is about a promise, a promise that he made to his people, the people of Israel, about what was going to happen in their future. Part of that, that promise was this promise of a Messiah, the Christ, the, the, this coming person who was supposed to make things right. As Pastor John talked about last week, the Jews are still waiting, right? They, in their minds, Christmas has not yet been fulfilled, Christmas has not yet been fulfilled, that, that the promise has not been met. They're still waiting for the promise to be filled. Why? Why did they miss Jesus? How come the Jews who received the promise did not, 
recognize that Jesus is the promise. In their minds, the answer to this question, is the promise of Christmas fulfilled, is no. No, it isn't. It's not fulfilled. We're still waiting. Why would they say that? There's a lot of things that were promised to them in the Old Testament. One of the, the promises that they hold on to, and when they think about Christ and, and the Messiah, here's one of the passages that they look at. And they say, this is what will happen when the real Messiah comes. So let me read it with you. It says this. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on, on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This is the promise that they received. This is the promise that they received. This is the promise that they are looking for. Has this promise been fulfilled? When you look at the world around you today, is this true? Is this true? Is this true now? Well, those of you who have little kids, will you let your kids run out by the lion and in the cobra pit? I don't think so. I don't think so, right? So if you look at this, you're saying, you know what? If this is the promise that the Jews were given, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. The promise of Christmas has not yet been fulfilled. That yes, I can see, I can understand why they would not think that Jesus was the Messiah. Because he didn't do this. He didn't do this. So are they right? Are they right that, that Jesus is not the Messiah, that, that the promise is not fulfilled? They're not right, <laughs> but let's, let's talk a little bit about why. You know, there's a, as they read this, there are things about this passage in Isaiah that talk about the future. And one of the things that, in fact, the verse that's right above this passage that they hold on to says this. He, the Messiah, will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell the land. Da, 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 da. I want you to look at that. As a Jewish person looks at that and reads that promise, he's thinking, Okay, I'm ready. I, I want the Messiah to come. There's a lot of bad people in this world today. The Romans are oppressing us. They're, 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 they're cheaters. They're liars. They're, they're pagans. People worship the wrong God. All kinds. They're killers. All these kinds of things going on in the world around us. I need Jesus to come back. I want the Messiah to come and kill the wicked with a command from his lips. I want that. It hasn't happened yet. I still see a lot of wickedness out there. I want the Messiah to come. When he comes... I expect him to kill the wicked, to get rid of them. That's what I expect. That's the problem. That's the problem. They don't understand that this is the problem because they read this and they're thinking, okay, I'm a Jew. 
I'm the person, I'm one of God's people, and we have the law, right? And, and I'm trying really hard to be a good person. I'm, I'm living the law. I'm doing everything that the law says as best as I can. When I sin, I, I bring my sacrifice to the temple, all these kinds of things that, that I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep God's law, trying to be faithful to God's law. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I don't, I don't cheat on my wife. You know, I am a good person. So I'm waiting for Jesus to come and to, to kill the wicked. I want that. Here's the problem. Paul, when he writes in Romans, talking about this, this thing that the Messiah is going to kill the wicked, says this, what then? Paul is a Jew. He's a Jewish writer. And he says, what then? Are we, the Jews, any better off? Not at all. You know, they're thinking, okay, when Jesus comes, when the Christ comes, he's going to kill all the wicked. I'm a good person. I'm still going to be here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it into the kingdom. We'll enjoy this peaceful time together. Paul says, you're kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, are all under sin, as is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned their way. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So the Jewish people are sitting there waiting for this Messiah, hoping for this, this Messiah to come to fulfill the promises in Isaiah chapter 11, not understanding that if he were to come in their present situation, they would all be killed because they're all wicked. They're not good. They're not good. They are wicked. God's standard for good is perfection. That's good. There's no good, better, best, less, whatever. It's either you're perfect or you're not. That's it. If you're not perfect, you're wicked. And Paul just said, there's no one who is perfect. Any of us sitting in this room right now, if I were to ask you, are you perfect? Are you perfect? You've never said anything, done anything, thought anything, felt anything wrong? I don't think any of us could say, I've never done any of those things. I'm perfect. Not one of us would say that. But that's the problem because if the Messiah comes, he's going to kill everybody. Right? That's what it says. He's going to kill all the wicked, but we're all wicked. If he comes... In that situation where the Jews were at the time of Christ, everybody dies. Everybody dies. There's nobody in heaven except God and the angels. That's it. No Jews, no non-Jews, no people. So what, 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 what? What's the solution to this? Does this mean there's no solution that, that okay, so if that's true, what, what about this promise? Is this ever going to be fulfilled? There's another passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Same book, same book as Isaiah chapter 11. The writer, Isaiah, says this. 
He, the Messiah, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. That is an exact description of Jesus when the Jews looked at him despised, rejected. You're a blasphemer. Who are you to say you are the Messiah? Because you're not going to do all the stuff that the Messiah is supposed to do. You're not going to make this world perfect. You're not going to kill all the wicked. Who are you to say you're the Messiah? He's despised, rejected, not valued by the people who should have valued him. But Isaiah goes on to say this. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, he carried our pain, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds, we all went astray like sheep, we all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This is what the Jewish people didn't understand about the Messiah. They were looking for this person that was supposed to come and make the world right. Get rid of all the wicked people, set up a great government, run the, run the world like, like, like the kingdom of God is supposed to be run. He was supposed to do all this stuff. What they didn't realize was if he did, they wouldn't be there. They had no part in it. They were wicked. Because they thought, I'm good enough. I'm better than those Gentiles. I'm trying my best to do what is right. I'm trying my best to, 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 to do good. Surely I'm going to make it to heaven. But, I, but, but Paul says, no, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. Good is not good enough. Good is not good enough. The only thing good enough to get you into heaven is perfect. That's it. If you're not perfect, you don't get there. Do you want to be in a heaven where there are people that are not perfect? It'll be just like here. That's not heaven. Right? If you had to live the world in the world that you're living in right now, and you think that's heaven, who wants that? Who wants to be like this forever? Nobody. The standard for heaven is perfection, is perfection. So what do we do? What do we do? The promise of Christmas. What this means is there is a Christmas still to come. Obviously, when we look at the world around us today, it is not like it is described in Isaiah 11. The lion is not sitting down next to the, to the sheep. So, you know, you can't let your kids wander around out there and not worry about wild animals and snakes and all that stuff. The knowledge of God is not everywhere in the world. That is not the world today. So we know for sure, in one sense, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of the Messiah here. He did this. He came, he died for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. He has not yet done the other thing. Isaiah chapter 11. That's coming. So there is, sorry, 
there is this promise of Christmas that is yet to come. This is not it. There's more coming. He said he's going to come again, and when he comes again, all that stuff in Isaiah chapter 11, that's when all that happens. He's going to come, and everything is going to be good. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, writes this, though, as he looks at Christ and, and his promise, knowing that the Jewish people think this can't be the Messiah because he, can't, he didn't do all the stuff that a Messiah is supposed to do. He didn't do all that stuff. How can he be the Christ? Looking at, at Peter, looking not, not just at the Jewish people, looking at Christians, Christians who have, who have gone through persecution, who have suffered, who have given their lives to Jesus Christ, died because of it, and, they're the, and, the, and still the promise hasn't come. Still the promise hasn't come. Peter writes this, Above all, beware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing, following their own desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? That's what the world is asking today, asking us as Christians. Wow, you believe Jesus is coming? Where is it? It's been a long time. 2,000 years, he hasn't come yet. I don't see things getting any better. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Where is this coming that he promised? Peter writes, ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Again, quoting what the world is saying. They're saying, where is this coming? Nothing's changed. Nothing's getting better. It's all the same. How can you say that, it, that something is that just Jesus coming back again? It's been 2,000 years. Nothing has changed. How can you believe that Jesus is still coming? Peter writes this. They deliberately, deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. What Peter's saying is this. Look, yeah, they're scoffing, and yes, it's been a long time, and, and I can, you can understand why people would wonder, is this ever going to happen? Is this really true? But Peter says they forget this, or they deliberately forget this, Nobody can explain the creation of the world. That's still true today. Yeah, they have this big bang theory. Okay, so something was there and then it blew up and now the world came. That's not an explanation of how the, the universe came to be. They just say, that, that, that's almost like saying God created it, right? There's something, there was nothing, and then boom, there was the universe. That's what the Big Bang Theory says. Well, God says kind of the same thing. And he's saying, if you, you know, all of you are scoffing out there, you will never be able to explain the creation of this world because it's unexplainable except by God. Nobody can explain how the world came to be. I don't care how many studies you do. You'll never find out because it didn't come about a normal way. God created it. So why, if you're like me, you're sitting as a Christian, you think, okay, I still believe. I believe you're coming. God, why don't you come soon, sooner? Why haven't you come already? It's been 2,000 years. 
even I'm starting to wonder, is this really going to happen? Peter goes on and says this. Dear friends, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So 2,000 years, day before yesterday, to God. Hasn't been that long. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. What happens when Isaiah 11 gets fully realized? The Messiah comes, all the wicked will be killed. Once he comes, that's it. No second chances, no more time. You're wicked. If you're not perfect, you're gone. Over. That's it. And what Peter says is this. God doesn't want anybody to do that. God doesn't want anybody to go through that. So he keeps waiting, waiting, waiting. And he's not delaying because he's lazy or not delaying because he doesn't have a plan or not delaying because, because of some other unforeseen thing that he didn't realize. He is purposely waiting because he knows once he comes, that's it. And he wants everybody, everybody to be saved, to come to repentance and to get into heaven. He wants nobody to be killed. So he waits. He waits. He's waited a long time. We don't know how long he's going to wait. He's very patient. A thousand years is like a day. But... But the day of the Lord will come. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's going to come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. When that happens, the world is gone. It's over. It's over. But Peter says, God is just waiting, waiting it will come, it will come, but he's waiting. Look at what he says. Since all these things, talking about the world, are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on this promise, we wait for new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. For those of us who have come to repentance, those of us who, who have believed in Jesus, who have claimed this promise, we're waiting. And it might be a long wait. It may not come in our lifetime. It may. It may come in your life. You may see the second coming of Christ, the real fulfillment of the promise of Christmas. But you may not because we don't know how patient God is. God is waiting, and we have to wait. 
So I want to talk to those of us who are believers right now. He says, based on this promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. How do we wait? Do we just sit there, twiddle our thumbs, play video games, waiting until Christ comes again? No, of course not. Peter writes on, goes on to say this, therefore, and here you can start to fill out your outline. Therefore, yes, there is an outline, and yes, you can fill it out. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. Here's your outline. Be on guard. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and bring glory to God. Let me talk through these a little bit. Be on guard. Understand. Because, you know, because most of us, not every one of us, but most of us live a pretty good life. I mean, yeah, of course, we wish we had more money and, and, you know, some of our relationships could be better. But generally speaking, life is not terrible for most of us. I, I would acknowledge immediately that there are some where life is very hard. But for, for the majority of us, life is not terrible. And, and it's really easy to get a lot to, to, to kind of let your, your guard down. It seems like you're in a... You're in a uh, a peaceful zone, uh, there's no spiritual warfare going on around you, that, that nothing terrible is happening in your life, there's no crisis, nothing's gone on. In fact, just like it said before, from the very beginning, things are just keep going the same way. It's same old, same old, same old, same old. You may be in a church for 30, 40, 50 years, and it's same old. Same old, same old. But when that happens, we start to forget this is a spiritual battle. We are living in a spiritual war. There are forces of darkness in this world. And Satan is after you. Make no mistake about that. Satan's purpose is for you to turn your back on God. And he's not giving up. He may let you take a nap. Then he'll kill you. You know, it is probably one of the biggest challenges for those of us who've been in the faith a fairly long time, who grew up in church, that we, we think life's pretty good. It's not that hard to be a Christian. And we, we start to not pay attention anymore. We, we get a little slippage in, in what we watch, what we think, what we do, how we act, what we say. We don't pay as much attention anymore. And at those times, that's when Satan is just waiting, right? Like a roaring lion prowling about looking for whom he may devour. That is Satan. Just walk, walking around looking for who's weak, who shows a little bit of weakness. And when, as soon as he sees that, boom, he's going to hit. And it may not be a in-your-face kind of a hit, but it'll be something that starts to put doubt in your mind about God. Something that puts doubt in your mind about the goodness of God. Something that puts doubt in your mind about, does God really want the best for me? 
All these questions, because Satan is just waiting for the opportunity. We need to understand we are always at war with Satan. Right now, in this minute, in this house, God's house, we are at war with Satan. Right now. He's right there. Well, at least him or his, he's not omnipresent like God is, but, but him or his demons, he's aware of what we're doing right now. And we're foolish to think otherwise. You're a fool. I'm a fool if I forget that Satan's right there or his demon is right there waiting. Be on guard. Pay attention. Be aware of the choices you're making. Watch your value system. All these things that, that seem like, oh, no big deal, little thing, just once. All, all the things we say to ourselves to rationalize doing what is wrong, not being perfect before God. Satan's just waiting. Second, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> not just, you know, Christianity is not just about defense, right, hanging just putting up the wall, being careful, kind of hunkering down, make sure Satan doesn't get us. It's also about growing, about moving forward, about pushing God's kingdom out. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And I want to ask you, a lot of you have plans for your work. You have plans for your school. You have plans for your family. You have plans for your, your ministry. You have plans for everything. Do you have a plan for your own spiritual growth? Why not? Why do we put so much energy and effort into planning for, for all these other things that are going to be burned up? But we don't put energy and effort into growing the one thing that will last forever. So I want to challenge you. Have a plan for your spiritual growth. It's a great time. New Year's is two weeks away. Great time to make plans. Start thinking now. How are you going to grow this year? What is your plan? Make a plan to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Because if you don't, you won't. Or if you do, that's because God is going to do something to you to make you grow, which you don't, none of us want that because that's hard. Make a plan to grow. Make a plan to grow. And third, bring glory to God. <clears throat> and here's the way I would apply that. In all the decisions that you make, when you sit down and think, what do I do? What do I say? How should I do this or do that? Ask this question. What will bring the greatest glory to God? Because that's what we're all about. It's supposed to be anyway, bringing glory to God. When you sit down and decide, should I go to this school or that school? Should I go to this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? You know, there's, there's all, all kinds of even smaller choices, right? Should I talk to that person? All, all the things, your, your number one question should be, what brings the greatest glory to God? And that will give you the answer you need to know what to do. Do what brings the greatest glory to God, because that's what we're all about. I do want to talk to those of us maybe who 
have not yet put our faith in Christ, don't understand what I'm talking about right now, saying, wow, okay, who is this Jesus? What is this about? What is this salvation? Uh, what is this Messiah that I'm talking about? And, and let me, t- me kind of put some things out to you as to what it means to believe in Jesus, how you do it, but also what it means to believe in Jesus. First, the three steps, pretty simple. One, and they're all ABC, okay, so really simple. A, admit you're not perfect. And again, I don't think too many of us have a problem with that. I don't think too many of us have a problem with saying I'm not perfect. What we may have a problem understanding or recognizing or believing is that if I'm not perfect, I'm dead. I'm going to be killed when the Messiah comes. And that means spiritual death forever. It's over. So it's one thing, like I said, many of us are willing to admit we're not perfect. Most of us or many of us don't understand the consequences of that statement. That when you say you're not perfect, that puts you under the wrath of God. Because God requires perfection. So you say, okay, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I know myself. I can never be that. So what am I supposed to do? I'm willing to admit it. I'm willing to say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm willing to say, yeah, God, I need to be perfect. Again. I understand that, but I don't know what to do. Romans 10, 8 9 says this. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here you go. Here you go. This is all you have to do. Believe in Jesus' resurrection. What I mean by that is, I think what what Scripture means, you can't just believe, okay, he was a good man, he was a good teacher, that that, that he said a lot of good things, and I want to, you know, I want to learn more about him. It's not about that. No, you have to believe that God raised him from the dead, that he died and God raised him from the dead. Because Jesus said, here is how you will know that what I am telling you is true versus all the other people, all the other gods, all the other prophets, all the other religions in the world. How will you know that I am telling you the truth and they're not? Is because when I die, three days after I die, God is going to raise me from the dead and you will know. Because nobody else, God will do that for nobody else except me. So for us to, to say that we believe Jesus rose from the dead is to say that we believed everything Jesus said, that he is the son of God, that everything he says is the truth, that he, that he is what, God, what he says he is, that he, what, everything he tells us about God, about heaven, about life is true because God rose him from the dead. He raised nobody else. So you have to believe that, that Jesus is like nobody else. No other religious teacher or prophet or whatever in this world. The only one that rose from the dead because God raised him from the dead. And you have to confess him as Lord. You have to be willing to say with your mouth, yes, Lord, you are the Lord. Which means you get to tell me what to do. That's what Lord means. I give up my way because my way, I do it, I've done it my way my whole life. And all it's led to is imperfection. If I keep doing it, I'm still going to be imperfect. I need something else. I need something else. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth him as Lord that, Jesus, you know what you're doing. 
I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to not do what I, I want. I'll do what you say. Third, commit to follow him. All these people, they heard Jesus' teaching. They thought he was a great man. They wanted to follow after him. They wanted to hear his teaching. They wanted to, to know more about love and, and, and what it means to have life and all this. Jesus turned to them, all these people that were following him, and says this, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying, look, I know a lot of you are here just because you like what I say and you feel, oh, wow, he's such a great teacher. And wow, there's so much good things he says about love and all this stuff. Jesus is saying, forget that. That's not what I need. If you're going to follow me, you need to really follow me, which means you give up yourself, your agenda, your plans, your thoughts, all that stuff is gone. And you pick up yourself, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Do what I say. That's what it means. Confess Jesus as Lord. You're saying, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to do it the way Jesus tells me. Third, uh, sorry, commit to follow him. You might be asking, why should I do this? It's a tough thing to ask. Jesus says later on in Luke, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save him. Remember, this is the one, the only person who was ever raised from the dead. This is the Lord saying, if you want to save your life, you want to hold on to it, you're not willing to give it up, you know what? You're going to lose it. As much as the tighter you hold on to it, you're going you're gonna to lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. It's one of those most interesting things. One of those, the way that God works is so different than the way we work. He's, God says, if you give it up, you'll get it back and more. If you give it up, you'll get back so much more. What does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? There are a lot of people in this world saying, I'm looking for myself. I want to find myself. You will never find yourself apart from Jesus Christ. Because only in him and doing things his way will you fully become the person God wants you to be. And to really find yourself. It's the only way. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to find yourself, receive Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're on a fruitless search. Do you want us to think about this? For those of those Christians, again, be on guard, right? What are the three things? Be on guard. Next G. Louder, come on, confess with your mouth. Number two, grow in the grace and knowledge. Number three, bring glory to God, right? Three things for Christians. For those of us who, who have need, haven't made that decision yet, three things you got to do. Admit you're, you're, you're not perfect. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and commit to follow him. Then you will find yourself. You'll find your true self. Let's stand.
Bow your heads, please. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity we have to hear the gospel. Truly, Lord, you are patient. Thank you for being patient. Many of us, if you had come sooner, many of us wouldn't be saved. But, Lord, because you waited, we are saved. And, Lord, there are some in this room, maybe, that you are still waiting for. You haven't fulfilled your promise yet because you're not ready. You, you want everyone to find Christ, to find true life, to be all that you designed them to be. You want everybody to do that so you continue to wait. But, Lord, I know that you will not wait forever. So, Father, I pray for those of us who are believers in Christ that we would be on guard, that we would grow, and, Lord, that we would bring glory to you. And for those of us who are not yet repentant, not yet, have not yet made that decision to follow Christ, help us, Lord, to see the truth of it, to see who you are, to admit that we are not perfect, to believe in our heart that you alone were raised from the dead, to confess with your, our mouth that you are Lord, and to commit ourselves to follow you.